Hello and what's up, everybody? Welcome to a bonus episode of the Wind Up Podcast. I am your host, Mike Anderson of MTGA Wines. And a little backstory to this. As I was getting this podcast kind of all set, uh, you know, getting the plan and the schedule and the content and topics and everything kind of lined up in January, I was like, you know, looking at the schedule, I was looking at the months, I was like, you know what, if I can kick out four episodes a month, that'll be great, we'll release it every Wednesday, a good little midweek splash of hopefully some entertainment and education for everybody out there, and little did I realize that there are many months throughout the year that have five Wednesdays in them. So here we are on Tuesday the 28th, and I've been mulling over kind of what I was going to do for a a bonus episode uh, for the last week. In fact, I recorded one and scrapped it because I'm like, oh, that's, that's just not where I want it to go. And what I thought we would do is to kind of elaborate a little bit and kind of almost do these like uh, what might end up being kind of like quarterly or um, every few month like reviews of some of the last few kind of most popular episodes and topics, try and dive into them a little bit more. Also try and provide you with a little bit more just honest upfront commentary on it. Because I I do want this show to be, you know, educational to a certain extent where we kind of, you know, Again, pull that curtain back, show you the inner workings and gears that make the wine industry and winemaking go. But on top of that, I want to, you know, there, there are certain things that are just like, oh, yeah, this is kind of like how it's done. And these are like the, you know, orders of operations. But what I really want to get into is underneath that hood and saying, hey, here's what we within the industry myself in particular, and then future folks that uh, we're planning on having on the show, and what we think of it, and give you kind of our honest feedback, opinions, and hopefully provide you a little bit more just insight, entertainment, you know, everything that kind of comes along with a what hopefully a good podcast has to offer. So for this episode, um, I don't have any notes. I don't have any bullet points. We're going to ad lib a little bit based on some of the other topics that we have covered uh, over the uh, last couple of months. Um, I do have my, for those that are watching on YouTube, you know that I have my trusty uh, computer right in front of me. Uh, for those that are listening, I, there's, of course, some of the materials you haven't seen, uh, but we'll try and talk about. But if you hear the little clicky clacky of a keyboard, um, that's because I'm looking something up. Uh, because since we're ad-libbing a bit, there's probably going to be something that I say or do uh, that doesn't make any sense, and I'm going to have to try and rationalize it or even prove myself wrong. So we'll look up, you know, whatever facts, figures, and details that we need to, you know, explore as we kind of go through the conversation today. Mm. It's also cold and rainy outside. I have, I'm on my fourth cup of coffee already. It's just, I'm so excited to see sunshine again in California. This is not cool man like we've been needing rain forever and now i'm like you know what i'm done with the rain i'm done we're good we're good anyway uh what i really wanted to the two most popular episodes and what i really wanted to get into today and this is kind of the first eight or nine episodes that we've done uh the most feedback that we've gotten um have been on the wine additive uh show kind of going through some of the most popular additives and things that are used in winemaking and of course you know my take on a lot of those in the following episode and then actually more recently in our Q&A more of the uh, business side of wine in fact we do have a show that'll focus very much on kind of the business and really how it related to MTGA and as a small brand kind of like getting up and running and what it took uh, to be able to pay the bills basically um, so we'll explore those in a little bit more detail, and but I wanted to give you all kind of a little bit more honest insight uh, in both, and just my own kind of thoughts and commentary on them, because realistically, these are two topics that come up all the time. I mean, every time I'm hosting a group in the cave, these are things that pop up, and I try to talk very candidly about them. I know it's it's one thing when you're sitting down with someone like me who's who owns the brand, is the winemaker. Literally, I literally did all of our taxes two days ago. Like, I'm the guy that has 
all of the knowledge in terms of what we do, how we do things, kind of our procedures. I'm always bouncing ideas off of other thoughts and ideas off of Brittany, uh, as well as other friends and colleagues, because I don't want to work in a silo and just be blinders on moving forward. You definitely need some outside opinion and influence. And, you know, if you're a good manager or a good person within your realm of business, you know, to surround yourself with people that you think are smarter or respect and are smarter than you are. So you can hopefully garner more knowledge and talk really good shop with them. Uh, which is what we'll try and do as we start to have guests on the show. We're looking to start doing that in the next uh, month, hopefully two months at the latest if we start having folks on. And part of part of the wine additive thing, and we'll start there because that was, that has been the most downloaded episode that we've had in the first uh, 10 here, is, you know, we, I, I did, you know, through my own kind of opinion piece the following week, talked about how I don't really think they're that big of a deal. But I didn't really explore the aspect as to why I don't, if I don't think they're a big deal, why don't I use them? And why don't I try to make my wines as consistent as possible every year and use some of these, you know, tools that these labs have available to us to ensure that our wines, you know, are, you know, quote unquote, I don't know. I I don't even have a a good word for it, to be honest. That, and this is kind of part of my, my hang up on using any of these wine additives and things is that I don't know that they make your wine better. In fact, I don't think they do. And this is this is a conversation that I, actually I have a great analogy for this, but I'm not going to interrupt myself. We're going to stick with this train of thought, then we'll get to the analogy. Is that my opinion on wine, just in general, is that there's no such thing as a better wine, which sounds kind of crazy because you assume, okay, like you're in... Napa, like as a small label versus what, say, Gallo family at like tens of millions of cases, you know, in in the Central Valley of California, you know, you'd say, oh, well, your wines, there's folks that come out and they say, oh, your wines are obviously higher quality. You know, you, you can do things. It's so finite. You can taste through all the barrels. You're not mass producing it. But there are still folks that love any and many of the Gallo brands. In fact, my mother in law loved, I don't even know what brand she buys, but we tell we tell her alex like we have good wine available we can bring over you know whatever wine you want just let us know we'll take care of you and she's like no i just like my box chardonnay you know it's 12.99 15.99 or whatever for a few liter bag in a box and she is very content and that's a great wine for her she loves it and has loved it for years and she likes our wine. She likes MTGA. She likes Blair Payton. She likes the other wines that we brought over for like the holidays and family gatherings and things, but they're not necessarily better. And I think that's something that is very important when it comes to how you view the wine industry. And whether you're on the inside like we are or you're a consumer getting more into it and learning more, just remember that there's no such thing as a better or the best wine because it's so outrageously subjective. We talked about this during kind of the ratings episode as well and kind of my thoughts on ratings and reviews and why we don't do them. And this is kind of the same thing with a lot of these extracts and additives and all kinds of stuff is that at a certain point, are you adding those things to quote unquote make a better wine or is it because your wine is missing something, like overtly like missing something, like a structural component or something that you need by the numbers for consistency's sake or a certain flavor or you know something that you need to have in that wine? And I think, I honestly think more often than not, it's the latter. Typically, if you're using these additives and extracts and things, you're fixing something that is not necessarily a problem, but it's something that you need to change based on what you're trying to do stylistically and what your customer base, however big or small that is, is expecting. So for someone like us and MTGA making, you know, around a thousand, maybe 1200 cases a year, it's easier for me to say, I, you know, don't use these things unless it's absolutely necessary. We talked about uh, the Tartaric edition that we did uh, on our Cabernet this year to make sure that it was more stable, the pH level would be lower, and that 
the wine had less of a chance of having problems, uh, which was just a necessary thing. It was either we let tens of thousands of dollars of Cabernet, you know, go awry, or we try and do something to head that off at the pass. And I can tell you as a small business, I don't have tens of thousands of dollars laying around. So we're going to try and make sure that wine actually stays stable and gets to where it needs to go. And we're, you know, and that's, you know, luckily that's, that was one of those things we talked about in the additive episode of this is, you know, something that is derived from, you know, it's a natural acidity and acid that can be found within grapes. It's simply concentrated in something we can add back to stabilize, you know, a, a pH level and, and, and a wine that's being made. It's a great asset if there's something particularly going wrong. Outside of that instance, we don't, we, we really haven't, uh, honest to God, have not used any of these extracts and additives and things. There's one experiment that we've done uh, when it comes to uh, some wine stability stuff, and we'll see how that shakes out. But it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I don't have to use these things because our wines, I don't have to use these things every year because our wines don't need them. Our style doesn't warrant them. And I think, I do think this is the benefit of being as, as small as we are. And this is what I think the, the huge leg up that small labels have on bigger guys is that it's a lot easier to micromanage what you have in your cellar. You can go in and taste through everything in a reasonable amount of time. You can manage those fermentations a lot easier. It's still a, an immense amount of work. But if you're on top of things and you're on top of your winemaking, then there's going to be less work down the line. You don't have to make these adjustments. You don't have to. You obviously worry about the chemistry and the numbers and making sure that everything's in a good range. But that doesn't become the end all and be all. And you don't have to fine tune things necessarily. On the flip side, I have made wine for small labels. Uh, they're not clients anymore. It's no one that I'm working with currently. Uh, so this is, you know, kind of blast from the past era. But this is when I was getting back into wine, you know, small labels, high-end brands that would just let their fruit hang and hang and hang. And when it comes into the winery, it's pretty unstable. You're going to have a lot of issues potentially with the fermentation. You have to use some of these additives. You have to use some of these finding agents. You have to do use some of these enzymes. And it's just this cascading effect of, all right, well, we weren't really that worried about it. So we brought in the fruit when, you know, we felt like it and now nah, we'll just fix it on the back end. There's just kind of this cavalier attitude of like, we'll fix it on the back end. We don't need to worry about it now. We can just fix it. And there are still a lot of producers, both small and large, that I think do that today, where it's like we're less worried about the overall quality of the fruit that's coming in because we know that as long as it's within a decent range, we can tweak it as necessary. And it's something that I'm like, that's just being lazy, you know, that's that's the big reason why I'm like, I don't want to have to use any of these things. One, it's more work because now it becomes a chemistry problem. And if you tweak one thing in a wine, you're going to end up having to tweak typically a couple of things. And two, if you have the option to pick at a certain time because flavors are a certain way and the numbers are telling you a certain thing and, and everything's kind of lined up, just get her done. Like You don't need to wait. And this is something I saw a lot of during this 2022 harvest and something that I don't know how things are going with everybody that I've talked to because we've, you know, touched base here and there over the last few months. But once we got through this last harvest was a great example. You had this heat spike that really knocked us on our heels. And you were talking 115 degrees for five days straight. You know, people were out of water, running out of water. Uh, those, however, those that survived that heat wave and then a little bit of rain on the other side of it, a lot of folks from what I talked to just let their fruit hang and hang and hang. And what I saw in vineyards that I was working with was at a certain point, the numbers weren't going anywhere. The only number going somewhere, were two numbers going somewhere, the acidity was continuing to drop in wines, the pH level was continuing to go up, which in my mind, I immediately go, okay, the more time that goes on, the more unstable these 
grapes and this juice is going to get for the winemaking side of things. That's just kind of where I ballpark it, right? And from there, if you continue to let it get more and more, you know, unstable, you can potentially have more and more issues when it comes to the winemaking side of things. So I'm like, okay, the sugar's not going anywhere. The flavors aren't going anywhere. Let's just bring everything else in. So that's what we did. We brought in uh, the last bit of our Merlot. We brought in uh, all of our Cabernet. We were like, let's just, it's, it's going nowhere fast. I'm not going to sit here for another four weeks and hope that these numbers, because realistically, like the way the pHs were going, and we had already heard rumblings that there were a lot of high uh, volatile acidity uh, problems uh, with this harvest, which for those that don't know, uh, VA is basically kind of what's pushing your wine to becoming vinegar in essence. So if you have a higher VA problem, you're like, okay, we got to like nip this in the bud. And I'm like, okay, we got to try and avoid that. So let's just bring stuff in. The flavors are good. They're where I would like them so let's just bring it in let's we don't need to wait just to see what happens and i know of a couple of folks that did and they continued to see the same thing they saw the numbers going kind of the wrong direction flavors and sugar levels were staying very level there was no development on that front and things just continued to hang continued to hang and now when those wines started to get to the winery we're talking about bigger water adds, bigger acid additions, uh, other fining things that you have to do. We're looking at potentially, you know, some wines having to be, uh, having to go through reverse osmosis to remove alcohol from those wines because there's so much in there, they wanna knock it down a little bit. Like all of a sudden that cascading effect started to happen for some folks. And it's why, you know, part of my kind of, I really should do an episode on like 2022 and just kind of the craziness of it. I'm gonna earmark that because we need to talk about like, a harvest and kind of what some of those judgment calls entail and kind of the effects that it can have uh, on making wine. So we should do that. Another thought for another time. But, you know, now that I've talked to, you know, some of these folks, you know, after the fact, yeah, there were some additions that were needed to be done. There were extra things that needed to happen. Um, it's everyone's opinion. There's this huge gap like between is 2022 going to be great or is it going to be rough? And there's people that are all over the map. Like I taste through our 2022s. I'm like, they're beautiful. They're exactly where I want them. You know, calling the picks when I did, couldn't be happier. Our 2022s are lights out. And I know other folks that are just like, man, it's going to be a rough year. It's going to like, we're in, we're up a creek without a paddle right now. Like these wines are going to be a challenge to dial in. And and I don't want to say that like these folks were being negligent in like when they were picking because there are certain extenuating circumstances with a big heat spike like that and you're running out of water and you're just trying to hope for like you're doing everything you can as a farmer to try and get the best fruit that you can and sometimes it just doesn't work mother nature every once in a while just throws you that hard slider and you've got nothing on it you know you're just out looking basically it happens but at the same time, I know another batch of folks that were like, we'll just let it hang, not going to worry about it because we'll just fix it on the back end. And I respect them dearly. Either some of them are f colleagues. Uh, many of them, I wouldn't, they're not necessarily close friends. They're more acquaintances and, and just colleagues within the industry. Um, but I'm like, that's just kind of, it's kind of lazy, kind of like natural winemaking. Like you're just kind of letting it do its thing and not really thinking twice about it. And I'm like, Ugh, that just seems so without purpose and structure, and I need a little bit of structure, you know what I mean? So when it comes to, you know, us, and kind of just my opinion of, yeah, I don't think these additives are a big deal because a lot of them are derivatives of what are out in the fields anyway. That being said, I don't use them because I try to really, really stay on top of everything that I'm doing so that I can try and make you know, kind of try and keep the process as simple as I can. For those that don't know, I failed college chemistry twice, and here I am using it on a daily basis. So chemistry is not my forte. For that reason, I try to make sure that there are as few issues as possible when it comes to my winemaking, because my little black notebook of equations and stuff that we can do is a mess. It's just a mess, because I'm bad at it. I know I'm bad at it. I'm very lucky that I have friends that are very good at it that I can bounce numbers and things off of. 
because otherwise I, I probably would have made a lot more mistakes in my 14 years of making wine out here. But, you know, with that, it's if I have that much control and I'm that, you know, hell bent on saying I don't want to have to tweak things. It's easy for me to do because we are at a very small scale. Scale is everything. It can also mean nothing because if you're just going to let things hang and not worry about it and you'll fix it on the back end, then, you know, that's a, that's a moot point. You know, Cal's opinion, it doesn't matter. But at least being small gives you the opportunity to say, hey, I'm not going to fuck around with all this other nonsense. I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to make just good, honest wine and call it what it is. There's a knock at the door. I'm not going to work about it. I'm in a train of thought. We're running with it. In fact, my noise gate on my microphone might be good enough. You didn't hear it. I definitely did. So we're just going to run. It's probably the UPS guy. It's fine. <laughs> um, God, train of thought. There it goes. See, this is what happens when we do a bonus episode. I'm ad-libbing and things are happening. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I haven't had a cat visit me yet, though. That'll probably happen in the next like 10 to 15 minutes or so. So does that being small, using less additives, um, being, I, you know, I call it honest winemaking because you're just using grapes, yeast, and barrels. Like it's, it's very simple, very straightforward. And, and, on, and I think that's the best word for it. It's just honest winemaking. You know, there's no trademark on that. There's no, uh, you know, there's no rules or regulations, but it's just like, here are grapes, here's some yeast, here's some barrels and time. It's just straightforward, easy. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's not easy. It's really hard work, but it's, it's simple. It's simplifying the process so it's not overly complicating things. And that's why I think a lot of these additives are just, it, it overcomplicates things. More often than not, you're just doing more work that realistically, if you're just given what Mother Nature's given you, you can work with it. You don't need to doctor things up. But so many places, big and small, have gone such so far down certain paths that you're at this point of no return. It's like, oh, if we, if our clients are expecting X, we need to give them X. We can't give them Z. They don't even know what Z is, right? So there's, I think there's this, I don't know, it's kind of at odds, you know, within kind of the small wine producer side of things. But again, does that make it better than what Gallo's doing, than what Constellation and Mondavi are doing, what you know, Chateau St. Michel is doing? Not necessarily. You know, we as small producers like to shit on all the big guys because we just do. You know, we, we're the, the little underdogs. We're the little fish in the big ponds, you know. And we like to talk a lot of trash about all the manipulation and all the manufacturing and stuff that they do, yet they sell a boatload of wine. If Gallo family would not be making tens of millions of cases a year if it wasn't moving off the shelves. That's just the honest to goodness truth. So to say my wine is better than any one of theirs, not necessarily. You personally, or me personally, may enjoy them more than some of those wines, but that's just a subjective judgment call. And this is the anecdote that I wanted to share with you is that a really good buddy of mine, one of my best friends, this was years ago. I don't even know if you would remember this conversation, but I remember it uh, so vividly. And I'll paraphrase it as best I can. But we got onto the topic of just this type of conversation of like, what is like the best wine in Napa? And it wasn't just like the best wine in Napa. It was specifically what is the best vineyard in Napa? And it got me thinking. Because you think of like the brand name vineyards. You think the Isley Vineyard. You think Pritchard Hill. You think something in Stag's Leap, you think uh, Stagecoach, you think Tokalon, or some of the heritage sites, other heritage sites from Beckstoffer or whatever the case is. And my response, very tongue-in-cheek, and you, for those, I mean, many of you know I love to play devil's advocate. It's like my favorite pastime. So I was like, I there is no one best vineyard. You know, I can find and make good wine pretty much off of any property in the valley. Just let me see it. Let me taste it. Let me figure out where it, what it needs. And I guarantee you, I'll make you a kick-ass wine out of it. Whether you prefer it over one or another thing is a different thing, which is why there's no best, quote-unquote, right? And he came out of the gate, basically like, Tokalon is the best vineyard, bar none. It's the best. 
I said, I laughed. I, I, I'm pretty sure I audibly laughed at him and was just like, no, it's not. It's not. Don't, like, don't pretend, like, no, it's not. That's not to say that grapefruit doesn't come off of that property, right? Whether, whether it's the, it's like 80 or 90 acres that Andy Beckstoffer owns, you got like another 600 or so owned by Constellation Brands. And then you have like one little pocket, I think it's the Dietert family that has like one little pocket up against the hillside. So there's like three owners of this giant vineyard, you know, Constellation Brands, the big conglomerate owns most of it. They, you know, they own, they, they're the ones that bought Mandavi back in the uh, early 2000s. That happened when I was in high school. That was a while ago. And, you know, but he was very passionate that Tokelon's the best vineyard. I, and I was like, there's no way. You, number one, it's so subjective. You can't say that. Number two, why? Why would you rationalize Tokelon being the best vineyard in the valley? And his argument was not a bad one, but it was, it's one of the most recognizable brand names as a vineyard. It gets the highest, consistently the highest ratings of any vineyard in the valley, which may or may not have been true at the time. I, you, everyone knows I have a problem with wine ratings and their validity, period. So I was like, no, nah, we're throwing that baby out with the bathwater. Don't bring that weak, weak argument in here. And that was kind of it. It's like, it's the most recognizable, you know, it's the most sought after the, the grapes, you know, if you're buying grapes from someone like Beckstoffer, you're paying top dollar, we mean top dollar, like you're paying an asinine amount for your grapes. And you're going to get great ratings, you're going to command a great price point, and you're gonna, pretty much going to sell it no matter what, just because of the brand name. And I'm like, that's all well and good. But I know plenty of other vineyards that sell out that don't have a brand name vineyard behind their name. They're not paying for someone else's marketing, you know, of a vineyard name specifically. I mean, that's one of the brilliant things that, you know, Beck Stoffer has done, whether you like him or not, is that he's cornered these vineyards as saying like, hey, if you have this on your label, people buy it. And they absolutely do. You look at a, you know, a Missouri Hopper, you look at a Dr. Crane, you look at Tokelon, any of his other hair, you know, there's two other heritage vineyard sites, I think, you know, he's, there's a reason why those grapes command the price they do. And they cost a lot of money, but man, they, they sell. So, but does that make that wine better? Absolutely not. It's, you can't, you can't come out of the gate and say a wine is better. Not to mention that you don't know what's going into those wines. You don't know how they're being made. I mean, theoretically, you know, if I if I'm gonna, you know, have my cake and eat it too, I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna taste through the wines that are coming from a place like Tokelon. I'm gonna try and dial, figure out how do you make these wines. Are you using any of these additives, extracts, and other things? Because if you start using all that other random stuff to doctor up the wine, it's no longer just that vineyard, right? As good as Tokelon is, if you're adding mega purple to it. If you're adding acid to it, if you're adding certain enzymes and, and extracts and more tannin or whatever to it, all of a sudden you're not representing that vineyard anymore. And I'm not saying that folks do that, but there are plenty of people that use high-end vineyards or have their own, you know, high-end vineyards and they're selling their wines for hundreds of dollars a bottle that do that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden you're not representing the vineyard anymore. So is that wine better? I don't know. Pepsi challenge that shit and see if you actually like it better than other wines from maybe that same site, uh, that same producer even, um, or just other wines that you enjoy from the Valley. So, you know, it's, it's this, this additive thing is just, it's kind of crazy. And I think that's my biggest pet peeve is that, you know, folks are always looking, even myself, you know, we try to look for kind of what's best or better or what we enjoy the most, right? And there's really not a, I, like, I know stylistically, you know, what type of wines, as many of you do, you know what type of wines you love to drink, love to enjoy. And that biases you towards that style of wine, whether or not there's any of those additives and extracts and other things in there already, you know? In that additive, you know, episode, I use the hot Cheeto analogy. Man, I love hot Cheetos. You, if I'm filling up with gas in a gas station, I better not have cash on me because if I do, I'm getting hot Cheetos. I love those little devils. You know, are they better than any other potato chip or corn puff snack? 
not necessarily. They're definitely not good for you, but, you know. God, they're delicious. They're so good. Just when you thought I was done with the hot Cheeto and fast food analogies, we're back, baby. So, I mean, realistically, when it comes to, you know, best or better, there's no such thing. There are wines you like, there are wines you don't like. And that is totally up to you. Run with that, take it to the bank, that is how it operates. And realistically, as we mentioned in, you know, the additive side of things, I think we mentioned this toward the end, is that if you find out that one of your favorite producers is using a bunch of that stuff and you don't like the fact they use all that stuff, stop buying the wine. If you really got a problem with it, stop buying the wine. You know, get to know your producers, get to know who you're buying from regularly and understand what's going into the process. I know that's a pain in the ass. It's an enormous ask. It is an enormous ask because for even myself with like in the industry, it's tough for me to discern from anybody who's doing this kind of stuff. Very few people will let that kind of information fly. We, they keep it pretty buttoned up, which is why I'm so vocal about what we do or don't do because I want it out on the table. And I'm hoping that that is something that, you know, catches on and that people are less afraid of being more honest, right? Again, just good, honest wine. That's all we look for. So the second most popular thing that's come up over the course of our first few episodes is the wine business side of things. And lucky you, we have a full wine business show kind of breakdown. And it's it's very much, you know, akin to what I went through in starting MTGA, how I worked for other businesses, uh, where I kind of plugged into some of those, what I learned, how they operated, and kind of the, like, why like why do we have wine clubs shipments every fall? You know, why is it that wines are priced a certain way? How did we, how, why do you do more direct business versus wholesale business? And so on and so forth. So we're going to, I'm going to save a lot of that information for that. But what I want to dive into when it comes to the wine business side of things is that, number one, it's the only thing I've ever known. There, I, I'm, And I'm very positive that it's very akin to many other industries. If you're producing a product or a service of any kind, at a certain point, it comes down to your expenses, your cash flow, when you offer certain products, how you offer, when you market it. Uh, do you, are you going more volume and lower margins? Are you going more craft and you know larger margins but higher price points? Like uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it, and. There's no real consistency within the wine industry. Every winery is going to kind of have their own tools, their own operation, much like every business. We all have kind of our own opinions as to how we want to conduct ourselves. And there are going to be things that, you know, cause a stir. There are going to be things that we do to try and keep things on an even keel. And there are going to be certain aspects of it that people don't like, certain aspects that people love. And as a small brand, I do feel as though that's magnified because if it's just you doing all the work, you're getting instant feedback from your customer base and your uh, industry friends and partners. And you know almost immediately when there's a problem outside of a handful of things that maybe fly under the radar and you don't hear about it till well down the line. And it's something that is like, you know, how do you want to approach it? And if, if you're like one of the big guys and you're kicking out millions, tens of thousands, millions of cases, you probably worry about, you worry about customer service. Obviously, you probably have a hotline for that kind of thing. It's not your cell phone number, uh, but, you know, you have a way for customers to get a hold of you and voice complaints and critiques or even compliments, right? And it's one of those things that, you know, we do try and pride ourselves on is that if you want to get in touch with us directly, it's very easy to do so. And then hopefully, if you have a problem or a complaint or a critique, we can fix it on a dime and say, you know what, we will make this right in some way, shape or form. And I think that is that is probably one of the toughest things to do within a customer service and a hospitality industry is understand that if you have a customer service problem, 
with in your business, it is an opportunity more than it is not. It's a it's a it's an avenue for you to either gain a customer for life or lose them and probably all of their friends. Now, what's interesting about this, and this happened very recently, which is why I wanted to bring this up, is that when it comes to the wine business, and I, I, I honestly, be going back to like, I don't know how other businesses work and operate, but I'm going to tell you right now, people in the wine industry, for the most part, love to tell you how to do your own business. They love it. The, oh, make sure you're, you know, I'll use in this barrel or make sure you use this yeast or you know what, this works really well. Or, you know, you know what, you know, folks are charging this much for tastings. People are hosting, you know, their tasting experiences are this long or, hey, they're doing this, this. Like there's for some reason a lot of noise that comes in from the outside to be like, hey, this is what other people are doing. You should probably jump on board. And this is something that happened very, very recently within the first couple of weeks. I'm actually going to do a show on it. I, I, I hate kind of, it sounds like I'm talking about aliens and like I have proof, but I can't tell you about it. That's kind of, that's kind of how this feels, but I don't want to spoil because this is a really good episode that I'm putting together. I recorded it once already, actually twice already. And it, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a tough subject and it, it, it evolve. It really involves kind of the customer service aspect of the wine industry and how we operate through like tastings and shipping and all this other stuff. And I'm just trying to find the right way to craft it. It might be one of the episodes we have a guest on because it'll be really good to get like out like outside opinion on it. And part of it is you know, this conversation of like, oh, this is what everyone else is doing. Therefore, you're out of the you're out of line because you're doing it differently. And all of a sudden, you're kind of your back ends up against a wall. And this happened to us very recently, where we are an outlier for multiple reasons with MTGA being that Merlot is our flagship. Number one, how many people in Napa are known for Merlot? I bet you can name five outside of us, maybe. And I guarantee you, it's not their top seller outside of one of them. There's one that it's their top seller because it's the only wine they make. <laughs> right? So we're already an outcast because we don't do the Napa thing. Yeah, we make Cab now, but Merlot is our flagship. Two, you know, we are a truly a husband-wife duo. Like, we, we're not trying to distribute our wine. We're staying really small. We're making a small amount of wine. And we've, since that point, been like, you know what? If we're going to do this, we're going to be an outlier. Hell, we're going to stick to it. We're going to make a style of wine that's unique and different than everybody else here. And if people don't like it, we'll figure it out. And that's how it was, especially when we added on Riesling in 2013. People were like, you are idiots. And I was like, you're right. But if it works, I'm going to be laughing my way all the way to the bank. And guess what? It did. It took a long time, but we got there. So we figured, you know, jumping on these trends of like, oh, this is what everyone else is doing, or this is what everyone else is offering. This is how business is done was not going to be our thing. And we came up with our own strategies, our own operations, our own way of doing things to one, provide great wine to people. Two, provide a great experience to people, whether you're in the cave tasting with Brittany or I, or we're on the road and we're at an event around the country. Provide great experiences that are memorable. Three, provide additional value beyond a typical winery. What, what, is it, what do I mean by that? You know, for us, part of that value is being in touch with the winemakers and owners. Every wine club member that's on our list, I've met personally, save maybe a couple of them. And if I haven't met them personally, we have had multiple phone calls and talked shop about our wines and what's going on. And I, we're all on a first name basis. And that is huge to me and also a huge value add because who else is doing that? Not a lot of people, not a lot. Two is like a, we've actually started this more recently where we have like certain like swag similar to the hat that I'm wearing. If you see it on YouTube, you know, if not, we have really cool trucker hats that are available. It's shameless plug, uh, but I do love some good swag and we have things that we just gift out to people. 
Like if you've been our, in our wine club for X amount of years, or you've you know spent X amount of dollars with us, here, this is for you. you all of a sudden, you're gonna if if you're doing that kind of stuff, and you you're gonna get an email from me personally, and you're gonna have something coming to you at some point in time, because it's a if you support us, we support you. And what happened recently, because that I've kind of been like alluding to with this other uh, episode that I'm gonna do, was someone who is very dissatisfied with our operations and how we conduct ourselves. And this has happened once before. So two times, twice in 14 years, I've gotten this type of critique or complaint. And it was, oh, well, all the other wineries that we go to don't do this kind of stuff or do this for us or take care of this or take care of that. And and I was like, yeah, but we're not everybody else. And I understand where you're coming from. However, this is how I operate. And this is this is a, a something that happened this last fall. So it didn't just happen. It was a while ago. But it's something that's kind of stuck in my brain. And I'm very excited to talk about it because it's going to be a true, like, honest, like, here's kind of the, when it happens so rarely, but when it's this kind of outlandish it's like how can I not share this it's actually I look back at it and I laugh at it now because I'm like this wasn't even this was a total we've all had if you've worked in business before and have a certain client or partner or somebody you're working with and you get to a certain point where like there is just no fixing this like I can do everything right I can pull out all the stops I can give them everything they're asking for and they're still going to be unhappy and they're still going to take me to task and at a certain point you decide I'm either doing that and just taking the L or you're saying no you're fired as a client (laughs) and you're gone I'm not dealing with you and that's in essence what happened and this that's that's the only time that that's happened one time in 14 years and it happened and it was this last fall when it happened so I'm I, I teaser for that episode so you're gonna have to keep coming back keep downloading and keeping an eye out for it because that's gonna be a fun one to get into but it was one of those things where I can't I, I put myself in this position right I walk into another winery I make wine I've been in the industry a long time I'm sitting down for a tasting or I'm talking shop with their winemaking team. And I immediately start saying, hey, you know, all what you're doing sounds all good. But man, you really should do it this way. What, 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 what is, huh? Could you imagine doing that? Like imagine walking into like in any, whatever realm of business you're in, whether it's real estate, insurance, you're a, a lawyer, you're a doctor, what I guess doctors, it's a little bit more finite because there are like certain procedures, even law, I guess. But but even so, like w- imagine walking into a colleague's office and being like, you know what? This is, you know, you, you do this really, really well, but realistically, you need to do it like me. This is how I do things. You're wrong because you don't do it like me. And, like imagine the audacity of that. And it's something that will I just can't wrap my head around and and, and it makes me like I, I I just like I I'm on the verge of laughing just thinking about it because I can't imagine it's so crazy it's so bonkers so this this gentleman this last fall when that is kind of what came out as his like oh this is how everyone else is doing things. And I know by everyone else it's like one or two other people that are like oh yeah this is what we did and <laughs> And he comes to me and it's like, this is how things are done in Napa. I'm like, are they? Because I know an equal amount of people that have the same mentality that I do. And they would kick you to the curb. Because you're being a pain in the ass. And we're here to make friends and drink good grape juice. If you're going to be a pain, like you're not invited to the club. (laughs) That's how it works. Especially with a small business. Like it's... I'm trying not to, you know, sound like too like poo pooey and like the customer's wrong, but like at a like sometimes they are. And this dude was out of line, and it was outstanding. It was a full implosion. It was so exciting, and I am going to share that with you down the line. But this is the thing about the wine business in particular, and, and I I love to hear from people in the comments if if this is a regular occurrence in other industries because I feel as though 
is something that happens so regularly. Like it's never a customer service issue like this gentleman that I'm mentioning from last fall. It, it, that never happens. This is like one of those rare moments where like, this is just a train wreck and I can't look away. Most of the time, it's just a subtle like, oh yeah, you really should try this. You really should try that. Oh, maybe, you know, don't use that barrel, use these barrels. Like these barrels are no good, use those barrels. Or you know what, we just use this yeast to make sure that it rattles. So you really shouldn't mess around with all this other stuff. Or when it comes to hospitality, like, oh, well, this is how we, we charge or we waive tastings, or this is how long our tastings last, or how many wines we pour, or this is what we do with our club. And this is how you should really structure it. That kind of stuff comes in all the time, all the time. And and more often than not, it does come from a genuine place of folks like they think they're trying to help, right? They're like, oh, well, this works really well for us. I know I've, I've been guilty of this as well. And I try not to voice those opinions too much because unless you're asking, like if I have a colleague asking me like, how do you structure this? How does this work for you? Then I dive into some of those details and be like, hey, maybe this is something that you can adapt or apply to your own program to make it work better for you. Outside of that, I try to keep my fucking mouth shut and just let people do what they think is best for their label, their brand, their business, because it's not my business and it's not my problem unless you're asking for advice and then I'll let you have it. And you all know I tend to be way too honest. It gets me into trouble, but I don't have time to beat around the bush. Like let's, let's deal with this. Uh, let's, let's figure this out. Kind of mentality is what I have. So the wine business side of things, and, and I'm really excited to, to get that episode's going to be going up. Let me see. Actually, it should be going up here in the next couple of weeks, actually. So something to look forward to, uh, when it comes to the next round of, oh my gosh, I gotta like log into this. Are we serious right now? There we go. There we go. So yeah, this will be actually, it's not going to be this episode. It's going to be the next episode. So next week, first week of April, uh, we're going to be diving into this wine business conversation a little bit more in terms of just kind of the ins and outs of it. It's going to be a little bit more, you know, my own experiences and talking about some of this stuff and kind of how we've structured it over the years and how we've adapted and changed over the years. Um, and hopefully at the same time, provide a lot of insight as to, you know, why we do the things we do and how we structure them. And then probably we are going to get into the natural wine conversation next month too, which I'm really excited for. The, I'm thinking that the first episode, first, second episode of May. So in about a month, I'm going to try to re-record the um, hospitality and business stuff from less of the educational aspect and more to the like boots on the ground. Like, here's my opinion on how things go. And Hell, you can tell me I'm wrong if you want, but I'm going to tell you right now, I think you'll agree with me when those episodes come out. There's, I'm so pumped. Like this is technically, this is episode nine, but it's a bonus episode. It's bonus episode one. Cause I honestly had no idea what we were going to do up until like a couple of days ago. And here we are just letting her rip. We got the wine business coming up next, next week. We're going into natural wine after that. And then we're going to do our next, uh, I'm going to see if we can't get a guest on, uh, in late March and then we'll do, or sorry, April, it's April already guys. It's April already. Oh, this year is going by so fast. Um, we're going to see if we can't get our first guest in, in late April and then do our Q and a, and then we're going to get into a little bit more of, I think the hospitality and trials and tribulations of the wine business and kind of the, the stuff that we deal with. I promise I'm not going to, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit of shit. I'm going to talk a little bit of shit. But if you're listening to this, it's not directed at you because if this was you, you're definitely not listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But it, it, I'm, I'm very excited for, for getting into that because I don't, I don't think we, this is something that no one ever talks about is you hear like the hospitality stories and the, uh, and like the every once in a while, like the horse, especially if you've worked in a restaurant or in any hospitality industry, like you've got a horror story. And it reminds me of a friend of ours that was reading uh, Anthony Bourdain's uh, Kitchen Confidential for the first time. She's going through it and we're having like a get together hanging out. And at a certain point, she looked at us as like, is this really like what the restaurant industry was like? And we're like, uh, yeah, and it's still like that. It's crazy. 
<laughs> it may be not be that crazy anymore, but it's still kind of an insane place. And the hospitality world is not that different. Uh, there, there's a lot of madness that kind of happens behind the scenes. And it's a part of this show that I really do want to get into. Um, I have during that hospitality show and talking about the gentleman I referenced earlier, I have another story from right when I was getting back in the industry that some of you I've told before, uh, but not something I've shared with the world. It's a great one. It's hilarious, a little scary, but kind of hilarious now that it's probably, oh gosh, I would, that had to have been 10 years ago. Actually more than that at this stage, it had to be close to 12 or 14. Eh, yeah. 12 years ago, actually 12, 13 years ago. So I'm, uh, that's going to be on the horizon for us as well. So uh, thank you so much for tuning into the bonus episode. I hope the the wine additive and best versus better versus, you know, just what you like in wine is something that's become hopefully becoming a little bit more clear um, as you get further into wine. And then hopefully as you learn a little bit from the show here and then for the wine business side of things, you know, I man, I'm so pumped to get into it next week. It's going to be a cool one. It's a little bit of a longer episode, similar to this one, uh, because there's a lot of lot of ground to cover. Um, but I think it's all really good information and stuff that you'll find interesting about kind of how we operate and the different kind of judgment calls we make as we're getting into kind of the dollars and cents of running a wine business and a brand and what makes sense. Um, again, I, I don't know if it's necessarily any different than any other business, but it's unique in that it is wine and it's very romantic and it's also an incredible amount of work to get done. So uh, thank you again so much. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, review the show if you haven't already. Uh, the more reviews and everything that we get, uh, the more uh, traction we get as a show. Um, again, any critiques, questions, comments, please leave them. Uh, that way we can dive into some of those questions during our monthly Q&As. Uh, and of course, anything that we can do to improve the show. Um, we've gotten really great feedback so far, um, but I'm definitely not afraid of being told, hey, this is something you can do to make things a little bit better. Uh, happy to dive into that as well and try and really create great content for you all that are uh, diving into the show and being such great supporters so far over the first couple of months of getting this out and about. So take care, have an excellent rest of the week, and we will see you back here next week as we dive into the wine business and how we conduct ourselves more or less professionally while under the influence of many glasses of wine in a given day. We'll catch you later.